Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Piki mai, kake mai, and welcome to Our Changing World from Radio New Zealand National. Finally on Our Changing World tonight, houses for fish. Aucklanders, it turns out, are not the only ones facing a housing crisis. Native fish trying to make a home in urban streams are also having a hard time. Basically, in an effort to keep the streams tidy and to let floodwaters flow freely, councils tend to take out all the fallen trees and branches, which were serving as handy fish houses. So freshwater scientists at the Waikato Regional Council hatched some plans to provide fish state housing. And Alison joins Bruno David at a stream in suburban Hamilton to find out more. We are at the Mangakatukatuku stream in urban Hamilton. Quite a big stream, and it's uh, running quite well. I think there's been a bit of rain. There has been a fair bit of rain, and you can see it's got a nice little tannin colour to it there, and that's coming from a wetland primarily up the top, so there's a bit of dissolved organic carbon in there. Okay, so it's got a natural start, and then it hits suburbia. (laughs) Yes, actually there are different arms to this catchment which have varying sources, and they go through varying sort of levels of human pressure, but... This particular catchment is one of the ones within urban Hamilton that has the least amount of impervious area. Uh, It's been shown that low amounts of impervious area also lead to reasonably higher biodiversity. So impervious surfaces are just things like sealed roads and driveways and all of that stuff? that's right, yeah. So whereas before you might have had, say, a forest or even a grassy paddock that might have percolated that water and slowed it down a bit, once you replace that with hard surfaces that aren't uh, permeable anymore that runoff uh, sort of injects more directly, if you like, into the streams, and so they respond much more rapidly than what they would have otherwise done. So the stream itself faces a lot of issues. The things that try and live in the stream must face even more issues. Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually, because if you consider lots of hard surfaces like roads, which get very hot in summer, and then you have a rainfall event, suddenly you have this injection of water but you also have contaminants from the road that have come off and also the temperature from the road itself so if you're a fish and you're hit by high water temperatures high contaminant loads sediment and a really fluctuating hydrology it's it becomes a very volatile place to try and live (laughs) in front of us here are some planting so that's something that started happening a lot in the last few years these riparian plantings let's revegetate the stream banks but you think there's more things we could do than just replant the stream banks? Yeah, this is a terrific initiative in this catchment. Um, there's a stream care group here that have done some excellent replanting, and, and this is certainly very important for bank stabilisation and also um, for the fish that, and, and, and other things that live in the stream here. These trees and these plants, they also provide a lot of food in the form of terrestrial invertebrates and things that will fall in. So not only are the trees providing bank holding and shade to keep water temperatures cooler, Um, They're also providing a source of food for the other fish that live here. And in urban streams, that's particularly important, I think, because often the contaminants that I was mentioning before remove a lot of the potential for the stream to provide those invertebrates that would normally be fed on by fish in the stream. And so an alternative food source can come from the terrestrial areas to help augment that. So the plants can just drop dinner in. Yeah, that's right. But but to answer your question about some other things that you can do, um, one of the things that we've uh, tried to put in some prototypes into this catchment here 
are houses for fish, so urban fish housing, if you like, mainly in response to the removal of the structure within the channel to convey water out. So we're trying to reposition that habitat within the banks to give fish and urban streams a chance to, to live here and be supported by the stream. So normally the fish would be living in natural debris, branches, logs, anything that falls into the stream gets jammed there. Yeah, that's right. So the natural process of a stream is it has lots of riparian vegetation, trees sometimes fall in, that provides a source of carbon to the stream, but it also provides structural habitat that things like fish and freshwater crayfish and those sorts of things use as habitat to survive. So complexity, if you like, lots of structure is biodiversity's best friend, but as soon as we simplify things, it takes away a lot of that complexity. So we're trying to put some of that complexity back, but repositioning it or reframing the problem so that it's within the bank so that you still have flood conveyance. Because what happens is that councils in particular come along and just clean out all that debris, is that what happens? Yeah, I guess um, what's happened is that as humans have um, put in urban infrastructure, they haven't really thought much about streams and the animals that live there. And as a consequence of putting all those hard surfaces in that we were talking about before, you end up having a channel that's trying to pass a lot more water in a shorter time. And so uh, the response to get that water out of the system is to remove any obstruction that is in the way of that water. <laughs> and so when it gets particularly bad, you also have downcutting and erosion of those channels and, and sediment, as you can see in this one here. Yeah, as the well. far bank there is being eroded away isn't it? Yeah uh, in certain areas it's really slumps quite badly and that's uh, the, the channel itself trying to adjust to its new regime that's been proposed by people upstream. Streams don't like travelling in straight lines do they? No and those corners actually add that complexity that we were talking about before so you keep them straight and you keep them clean and you'll also keep them free of biodiversity. <laughs> so what have we got here to look at? We've called them tuna townhouses, these ones. Tuna is a Maori word for eels. So this particular stream here um, actually has a, a, a really nice population of longfin eel. They can live for a very long age. They only breed once their entire life, so any female that you see or any male, they're all virgins effectively until they've headed off to, to the Fijian basin to spawn. So the average age at which they, they leave to go and do this spawning is uh, around 50. So it takes them quite a long time to reach maturity and they like structural cover. So in this particular stream here, we know that there's um, some really good longfins. So we've put in these um, tuna townhouses, which are multi-level apartment blocks, if you like, that um, operate under a range of different flows. So when the flows come up really rapidly and there's no structure in the stream, you can provide refuge for those things offline. So if they find positions or placements within the bank to get out of that high flow and those contaminants, then that's basically what we're trying to provide for them. So this is tucked in under the bank? Yeah, just underneath us here, you can sort of see the front entrances of these portals. So one of the problems that we have had with these smaller tuna townhouses if you like is that we've been using these 100 millimeter diameter um, nova coil pipes and it's it's in a u-shape so the eel kind of comes in they're about a meter and a half long and they come into the bank and they they literally park up in them like in a u-shape and so, so, so it's got a back door and a front door yeah, yeah. and the reason we designed them like that was that um, there are also um, giant cockapoo which live in the stream and giant cockapoo are our largest galaxid fish and um, they are also part of the white bait 
uh, and they can grow quite large. So there's quite a few fish in here up to around sort of 300 mils, 30 centimetres long. And the reason we turned them into a U-shape was that if giant cockapoo decided to use these instead of eels, that they had an exit strategy if an eel turned up. So <laughs> you've got to give them a chance to escape rather than a dead end. So... So it's not so much a front door, it's an escape hatch. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that's right. If you're a, if you're a giant cockapoo, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the problems that we've had and that we're sort of resolving as time goes on here is there's a lot of sand that moves through this particular... Yeah, well, stream. that's what we're standing on at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And um, what, what tends to happen is that it comes through in waves from upstream and sometimes with these smaller 100 mil openings the sand can occlude the entrance cover it over and and it sort of renders them closed off if you like to fish but our strategy here has been to have multiple levels but also lots of them so that at any one time there are always some that are available and then on different of flow events the ones that were covered in tend to reopen and then the other ones might fill in so they kind of go through these cycles of infilling and 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 this is the nature of the environment in which we're working in one of the ways we've we've tried to uh, resolve some of these problems is by playing around with the opening um, shape of these pipes but also make the pipes a lot bigger and by having a bigger entrance whilst you might get some sediment filling in you always have a gap that's big enough for the things to get in because the sediment only really piles up at the front edge of, of them. So have you come along and stuck cameras in these tunnels and seen whether you've got any residents in place? Yeah, so um, there's a number of ways that we can actually sample these devices. One way which is a little bit more, uh, shall we say, invasive is to use uh, a machine called an electric fishing machine. And so that will draw the fish out and then you can catch them in a net and have a look at them that way. And that certainly has worked along here. But it does sort of disturb the fish. Um, the other way is you can, as you'd mentioned, you can put cameras down through into the pipe and actually just see how many occupied by sticking a camera in there. We try not to disturb them too much, um, but just get an idea of, of occupancy now and again. Yeah. So it's really just checking that, that they do work and they clearly do. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So one, one, th one thing that we need to try and establish is, yep, we know that the fish use them. The idea long term is to put sufficient numbers of these into the stream to either increase the carrying capacity of the stream to support those animals rather than just move them from, say, an area that's suboptimal to an area that they kind of prefer, which is possibly what we're doing at the moment. But I think if you put enough of these things in, you provide enough structure and there's enough food, you will increase the number of fish that can be supported. How widespread should these things be? Should they be in every urban stream? They were sort of designed, I guess, to provide another tool for some of the mitigation options that occur as part of resource consents. And I guess that's what our role is, is to try and demonstrate that these tools do perform a certain task, but also the details around how they should be put in so that they work long term. And so there's really no boundaries in terms of the size or scale of rivers that you could put these things into, but you do need to be aware of the different characteristics of rivers in terms of how they function with the way in which they move sediment and things to make sure that they're put in the right place and that they last long, long term. So, yeah, we've got a range of different prototypes that we're playing around with, and they all seem to work to different degrees, but we're trying to tailor some of these now so that they support lots of different sorts of fish rather than just being a, a very expensive house for one particular individual, if you know what I mean. So these ones are good for eels, they're good for giant cockapoo? Yes, that's right. And, and most of these types of devices are um, designed for our native fish, which are primarily nocturnal, so 
eels and giant cockapoo most of the time will forage at night and then they'll rest undercover during the day. And so part of that is creating a structure that is a nice, dark, low-flow environment, which is what they like. And so putting these pipes into the bank with wood crammed into them or even just open spaces inside the bank provides that dark, low-flow environment that they like. So we just wandered down the stream a little bit. Yeah. Pushing through some quite well-grown riparian plantings. <laughs> this is uh, this is the Kokapoo Condo, this one. So <laughs> we're actually on, working on, on the a, names, Bruno. <laughs> we actually um, Kevin wants to work on a Kura crib as well, so for freshwater crayfish. But yeah, this is a Kokapoo Condo, and basically what this is is uh, it's a farm boss pipe, which is a 450 mil diameter pipe, so it's quite a bigger diameter entrance and this one here is about six meters long and it's got a big chamber at the back and this one here we were interested in seeing whether we could provide a refuge way back in the bank here against all those contaminants that we we're talking about before. This particular device uh, also has a couple of aerials on it it's kind of like the barcode checkout at the supermarket so a lot of the fish in the stream we've put little tags in they're called passive integrated transponder tags, pit tags, similar to the stuff they use on cattle, um, like the RFID tags that they use to, to be able to identify individual animals. So anytime any of the tagged fish use this particular device, they'll check in on the first aerial, and then if they're using the chamber, they'll check in on the second aerial, and then it'll get recorded by this data logger that's up here behind us. Okay, so you know the check-in and check-out times of everybody. That's right, that's right. So so in this particular case here, it was designed to be a kokapoo condo, but um, a really large female long-finned eel decided that she liked it a lot better. So she's occupied this thing for over two years now so she's been coming and going during the evenings coming out to forage and then coming back during the day and it's from our last download which was not that long ago a couple of weeks ago she's still there so a really interesting situation here before um, I mentioned that you can sample these things with electric fishing machine and we came down here one day so we knew that that she was in here and we electric fished her out we wanted to get uh, an idea on how much she'd grown since the first tagging, um, take a weight. And so we electric fished her out and she came out straight away into the net and then after taking our measurements we put her back in there and then we noticed on the logger that for the first time in quite a long time that that she mustn't have liked that very much so she'd sort of disappeared for about four days and, and didn't come back. But during that time um, two other eels that we'd tagged in this reach had come in and investigated this device together so as a pair like as two two females together which was which is kind of unusual and anyway after about four days or so that original female longfin decided no she did really like this so she's come back kicked the other ones out and has re-established herself in here and she's been there ever since one of the other interesting things though was that Niwa actually have a uh, another aerial device on the stream itself downstream and basically what that does is that records any of the tag fish that might leave this whole site so we came across some records on that aerial where the same two female eels that were came into this chamber here were actually hanging out together as well on this main aerial down um, downstream so as far as I know it's sort of the first sort of bit of information showing that these things do cruise around together in pairs or maybe even in a social kind of construct 
but it's really hard to see those sort of things mainly because of the environment in which they're living in and, and cruising around at night so so yeah some interesting ha- animal interactions <laughs> but in terms of your original intention of making it a home for cockapoo it's not working for that <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I had to point that out yeah to yeah you. that's that's right that's right so actually part of this idea came there was a, a, a an old culvert like a, a pipe that was found in this urban stream and and it, it got pulled out and it actually had about 15 giant cockapoo living in it and so I thought well okay so they're obviously like that sort of structure so we we probably haven't built quite enough of these to be able to get the cockapoo in there, maybe because the eels are too dominant. So I figure we just need to put more in until we find them using them because I'm guessing that habitat might be limiting in here. You need to provide enough habitat for it, for all the eels and then... And then have enough <laughs> left have over. Enough for, left over for the cockapoo, <laughs> That's yeah. right. So, so, yeah, unfortunately our uh, cockapoo condo is another tuna townhouse, but it's it's more of a tuna mansion, this one. It's a, probably quite an expensive fish house because uh, it's like the dot-com mansion for eels. <laughs> and that was freshwater scientist Bruno David from the Waikato Regional Council. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, Radio NZ dot co dot nz forward slash our changing world. Matewa.